Greetings, Veritas listeners. This week, I'm celebrating Thanksgiving with my family and hope you celebrate and enjoy this time of togetherness and gratitude. I also want to honor a great man, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, who passed away on November 15, 2021, at the age of 91. I had the privilege of interviewing and spending some time with Dr. Sprinkle in person. He was not only an incredible and devoted researcher, but he was one of the kindest souls I have ever met. He put his profession on the line to help countless people. I will always remember his words of wisdom and cherish his handwritten letters. Tonight, I would like to celebrate his life by sharing our classic interview from November 2012, exactly nine years ago. I will be back with you next week with a premiere of season 14, and the great Neil Kramer. Rest in peace, Dr. Sprinkle. The night sky is brighter now. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of the best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making Veritas possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to both segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. Tonight's special guest is legendary pioneer of UFO contactee research and reincarnation, Dr. Leo Sprinkle. You will find Professor Sprinkle to be remarkably candid and insightful, and he has such a refreshing and inspirational take on the phenomenon. 
He has played a very important role in the very strange history of UFO research, starting back in the early 1960s. At 82 years old, he's at the top of his game. I am told he was the first person to use hypnosis to regress a UFO contactee, and is the inspiration for the experiencer sessions you see at most UFO-related conferences. Tonight, we'll discuss the psychology of alien contact and abduction, and even reincarnation and past lives. Dr. Leo Sprinkle will be with us shortly. And visit the very test store for MMS. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And our metal case USB drives with all of our seasons and bonus material. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there is a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Long before it was popular to explore the extraterrestrial presence, Dr. Leo Sprinkle was quietly, professionally, and sensitively working on this great mystery. He became a lifeline for those who had experienced unusual contact. This legendary pioneer of research into the UFO contactee and reincarnation phenomena will share his personal story and the insights that he has gathered over the many years. With his professional psychological training and his incredible natural metaphysical gifts, Dr. Sprinkle reaches conclusions and insights that have escaped others. Dr. Sprinkle provides a unique perspective in the psychology of alien contact and abduction and injects necessary humor and ubiquitous grace and even takes us to the science, you heard right, the science of past lives. For this and much more, Dr. Leo Sprinkle is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas and you're listening to Veritas. Thank you for listening to Veracos. It is important. Professor Leo Sprinkle is a legendary pioneer of UFO contactee research and reincarnation. He wrote a book titled Soul Samples, Personal Explorations in Reincarnation and UFO Experiences. Dr. Leo Sprinkle presents information gathered from hundreds of hypnosis clients and participants in psychological studies. He began his career in psychology with the idea of being a conventional, practicing, quote-unquote, scientist in the traditional sense. However, two close encounters with UFOs shattered Dr. Sprinkle's conventional reality and shifted his direction in life. After the second incident experienced with his wife, he knew that he had to investigate the UFO phenomena and that it would be a lonely task. Dr. Sprinkle began his investigations from the conventional viewpoint, but found he was unable to make further progress until he became aware of and accepted the physical aspects of UFO phenomena. He became more and more skeptical, ironically not of the reality of quote-unquote flying saucers, but of the concept of 
quote-unquote reality as defined and developed by current scientific community. Dr. Sprinkle received his PhD in counseling psychology from the University of Missouri in 1961 and has appeared on national television programs on ABC, NBC, and nationally syndicated radio shows. He has also appeared on many panels with scientists such as J. Allen Hynek and Carl Sagan. He has been invited to speak at several international conferences and numerous other meetings and conferences. With this pioneering view of the roles contactees played within the UFO ET phenomena, he started the first UFO investigation conference for contactees held on the campus of the University of Wyoming. And we have a more extended biography on our website. And directly from Laramie, Wyoming, I'm honored and privileged to welcome Professor Leo Sprinkle to Veritas. Hello, Professor, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm well. Thank you so much, Mel. It's my pleasure having you on. I was, as I was telling you offline, it was our mutual friend Mike Cleland who provided a lot of information that I've been able to devour in the past few days. And thank you for sending me the sending me the book and all the material that you sent me. I really appreciate it. You're most welcome. I have to ask you right from the beginning, in reading all of your material, you are 82 years old. And I usually don't mention ages, but I have to to ask you, because I've been watching all your, your presentations, and honestly, I cannot believe that you are 82. How do you <laughs> keep yourself so young? Well, there are various reasons. I jokingly, as I told you, uh, say that I'm trying to get old, but my wife won't let me. Uh, <laughs> Marilyn and I have been married over 60 years, and she's a delight, not only as a person, but as a partner, lover, as a wife, and uh, now is not only mother, but grandmother. So she's the main reason for my longevity. Uh, then also I, uh, I follow the creed that I take meds, meditation, exercise, diet, and smiles. Uh, Marilyn and I get up at 4.30 in the morning, as we did this morning. I do my stretches, then we go to the gym at 6. Then I come back so I can rest at the office. So it's, uh, it's an ongoing pleasure not only to uh, have such a delightful companion, <clears throat> but also to work with so many interesting people, as I've done over the years. Not only the scientists, but most particularly the uh, ET experiencers. And not to discount or dismiss your work, but this this specific uh, uh, topic that you just discussed and meds, M-E-D-S, is, is worthwhile to anybody listening to this interview. But I have to ask you also, um, when we think of academia, and you, you went through this, do we need a PhD to talk with conventional scientists? <laughs> well... Uh... I'd like to think that the uh, notion of science is changing. <clears throat> if it's of interest to you and your listeners, I'd be glad to rattle off some names of uh, people who've written various books about new science. But briefly speaking, <clears throat> uh, the old science uh, has a view of the, of the universe and reality as uh, dead. <clears throat> the, uh, there's no life in planets. There's no life in rocks. There is a separation between what people call a matter and spirit. That's the old science. Uh, the new science, uh, not only in terms of uh, the physicists who are talking about uh, <clears throat> the photons and how they can be synchronized, uh, the cells, 
are synchronized, that everything is connected. The holographic universe, the conscious universe. Kahneman has a book called The Purposeful Universe. This view is that uh, energy and consciousness is the main component uh, of what we call reality or what we're living in. So with the view that uh, uh, matter is just uh, slow energy or slow consciousness and uh, spirit is faster or vibratory, uh, that view is so exciting to me because when I work, uh, not only from a personal standpoint, but from a professional standpoint, when I work with uh, contactees and ask them to take surveys, I find that their attitudes about uh, science, about reality, about consciousness uh, are more pertinent and closer to that model than the average uh, average conventional scientist. So I'm not sure if we need a PhD in order to talk with scientists, but at least uh, I think more and more scientists are looking at energy and consciousness as a way to explain what's going on. And I've called tonight's show The Psychology of Alien Contact and Abduction. And to that, we'll also add reincarnation and past lives, which is also a, a, an area that you discuss. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who say that now that they're awakening, uh, you know, uh, now they have new colleagues and they approve when talk, they talk about all these subjects. It reminds me of my new profession as a radio host. Before that, I wasn't able to speak my mind about all these topics. And it's refreshing to say that I have new friends, new listeners, and they approve of these topics. Did that happen to you? Yes. Uh, at the... Uh Uh, Colorado State University, I was listening to a physicist talk about his experiences, and I was going to be next on the TV uh, videotaping, and I was fretting about, you know, what would happen and how I should talk about it. And uh, he had such a delightful comment when the the interviewer said, what do your colleagues think about your work in uh, ESP, reincarnation UFOs? He said, well, I have new colleagues. And I thought, ooh, how good. So I asked him if it was okay if I use that term uh, <clears throat> because it, it was difficult at times when I was at the university. I I started off in 61 to 64 at the University of North Dakota and knew that one of the things I needed to do was to survey <clears throat> UFO experiencers. Uh, then we came to the University of uh, Wyoming in 64 And for the first few years, it was good. Uh, Then it became more difficult because not only was I a professor of psychology, but an assistant associate professor, but also I was uh, a staff psychologist in the counseling center. And so, for example, I was told one time face-to-face and also in writing that I should not engage in uh, reincarnation research or UFO research during office hours. I thought, okay, I know how to play that game. So when I would have a student, for example, a young man came to me who was a cutter. He would slice his body with a razor. And uh, as we uh, worked uh, in hypnosis, found out that past life suggestions were that he had been uh, a person who would stab others. Others would stab him life after life. And so I started working with him at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That way I could be... uh, moral. I would follow the instructions that I was not to engage in reincarnation research during office hours, but I could also be ethical. I could help my client. 
And uh, he was so bright. His scores, uh, academic scores, were higher than mine and most uh, academic people. Uh, we got to the nexus. We found out <clears throat> that he was so bright and so psychic, he knew how to size up other people in a glance. And he could say things that would piss off other people. They'd get angry at him, and then he'd get angry at them. <clears throat> and uh, then he'd wind up dealing with his moral dilemma. Is it better to uh, stab other people, or is it better to, to stab myself? And it was more moral to stab himself. So I helped him get to the point where he could learn how to use his sharp tongue instead of a sharp blade to deal with other people not uh, so confrontational. Uh, so I thought I was playing the game very well, but then I began to realize the game was not uh, to play that game. The game was to push Leo out. So in 1989, I resigned from the university after 25 years and went into private practice. Uh, so I have my little story all set <clears throat> that when disclosure occurs, a disclosure of the ET presence, I walk over to the campus, I talk to the spirits of my deceased colleagues, and I say, I'll, to I'll say, I told you. And they'll say, we knew it all along, Leo, so I won't have the last laugh. <laughs> but I'll still be standing. <laughs> and, and I have to tell you, I was telling this to you offline. I think that uh, one of the reasons why you look so young is because of, of you inject humor. Even in a very serious topic as these are, it's necessary to, to keep some humor and to yes. keep a, a light conversation sometimes. But I think of the word skeptic which comes from the Greek noun skepsis, uh, which means examination, inquiry, consideration. Why do some quote-unquote scientists say they don't want to look at all these topics because they're not scientific? Isn't science to observe, to study, mm, and to research? Yes, good question. <clears throat> When I first started off in the 60s, the game that was being played between UFO researchers was the skeptics versus the believers. The skeptics were male. They were uh, intelligent, educated Uh, they were uh, technically and scientifically sound. Uh, whereas those of us who were believers, we were fuzzy-minded. We didn't know uh, weather, uh, climate. Uh, we didn't understand basic uh, science. <clears throat> well, then the game changed a few years later from uh, skeptics versus believers to skeptics and debunkers versus believers and knowers. Uh, because so many people who called themselves skeptics were not skeptic. As you say, they were not uh, studying, they were not inquiring. Uh, <clears throat> I remember one conference in Canada, a reporter asked me, uh, he said, Leo, how do you deal with skeptics? And I said, well, if they're skeptics, I'll tell you. But if they're debunkers, I said, I don't really like to talk with them. They're not much fun. Uh, <clears throat> I said, if a person is a skeptic, I say to them, uh, read a thousand reports, talk to a hundred people who've had ET encounters, have your own encounter, and now we can talk because now we have something to talk about. We are knowers. We're not just believers. Well, speaking of the art of the debunkery, I like your comments about this. Uh, you say that when people have a conversation, one tries to maximize what uh, he or she is saying and minimize the other party's point of view, the yeah. upmanship. Do you yeah. think this is ego taking over? I think so. I think this is the patriarchal uh, status, <clears throat> although in my opinion the patriarchy is coming down, and that's what's uh, the struggle all across the planet uh, <clears throat> about whether the patriarchal system can uh, uh, survive. At one time it was useful to have the, uh, the patriarchal attitude that the male is superior to the female, <clears throat> the male can go out and explore, discover, 
and control. Uh, but then uh, the extreme point of view has taken over so that not only does the man uh, po- protect the women and children, the man possesses the women and children. <clears throat> and uh, so I think that that system is falling down because it doesn't fit in with the new scientific model. Um, the uh, the debunkers that I uh, met, sometimes met on radio or TV programs, Dr. Menzel, for example, brilliant man. He was professor of astronomy at Harvard. Phil Class, very bright uh, uh, journal uh, guy who was interested in aviation. Uh, many others, uh, Dr. Carl Sagan, I, have, I have met with him on a TV program in 1966 in New York City. We were talking with Betty and Barney Hill about their uh, UFO encounter and their uh, hypnosis sessions. <laughs> There's one scene that I got kind of tickled. Uh, we were sitting or discussing uh, <clears throat> Betty and Barney Hill's uh, reactions to their hypnosis session. And Dr. Sagan, he looked at um, Betty and I said, now, Mrs. Hill, he said, you... You say that your memory during the hypnosis session was that the uh, ET examiner placed uh, something in your navel. <clears throat> she nodded and said yes. And he smiled grandly in his uh, uh, charming way. And he said, now we're all amateur psychologists here. Then he looked over at me and said, ooh, sorry about that. And I said, that's <laughs> all right. My friends think I'm an amateur psychologist. He was about to tell her what she had experienced. Hmm. And to me, that is not only arrogant, but it's also a uh, an indication of ignorance because uh, we have a lot to learn from the the people who have had the experience. And to me, that's been the focus uh, of helping them not only understand what they've experienced, but helping them help us understand what they've experienced. Now, why would uh, Sagan do this? Uh, some people have speculated, I don't know if it's true, but some people have speculated that uh, Dr. Menzel was on the inside and that uh, Dr. Carl Sagan was on the inside. That is meaning that they had a double life. <clears throat> they had inside information about the reality of flying saucers and the extraterrestrial presence, but that uh, publicly they didn't uh, disclose that. Uh, one rumor, which I accept as possibility, <clears throat> was that... Uh, uh, Carl and another guy, a CIA guy, uh, all had a, a sighting of something that was uh, radioactive. The others got cancer. The, the others got uh, got cancer and died, and so did uh, Carl Sagan. If that's true, <clears throat> then that would mean that uh, we're facing not only the problem of uh, flying saucers and the flying saucer occupants. But we're also facing the problem of cover-up, <clears throat> that some officials uh, have covered up their knowledge over the years uh, because of whatever reasons, uh, whether it's uh, fear, greed, uh, control, uh, whatever it is. But I believe that the evidence now indicates that the cover-up is slipping. And uh, some people, for example, I, I think I showed you a copy of... Uh, Dr. C.B. Scott Jones' statement that he thinks disclosure will happen this year. If it happens this year or the next year or soon, then not only will we be dealing with a whole new perspective of ourselves, uh, we'll be planetary, we'll also see ourselves as extraplanetary, 
we'll see ourselves as potential citizens in a cosmic uh, uh, or a galactic uh, community. And for the listeners, if you're curious about Dr. C.B. Scott Jones, I recommend that you go to our archives. We have a, an excellent interview that we did with him a few months ago. Uh, great man. Yeah. And I have to ask you this. I think that the bio that I read may be a little bit outdated because I said hundreds of people you've spoken with, but I think you've spoken with thousands. Am I right? Yeah, it depends on whether people think I've interviewed individuals or whether I've spoken to a lot of people. <clears throat> My wife and I have been in conferences in England, Finland. <clears throat> I've been uh, over in Japan, Korea, uh, Brazil four times, so uh, as well as Canada and Mexico, <clears throat> so that I've talked with a lot of people. But I have met with uh, a lot of individuals and uh, helping them through hypnotic, hypnotic techniques to not only recall more about their experiences, but also to help them in evaluating it. Uh, for example, last weekend I was working with uh, some people. <clears throat> this weekend I'll work with uh, some out-of-state uh, uh, person uh, about his experiences and also with a woman from Wyoming about her experiences. Uh, many of these people uh, <clears throat> describe themselves not only as having ET encounters, you know, as well as UFO sightings, but they describe themselves as having uh, uh, psychic uh, experiences that are <clears throat> puzzling and unusual to them. Uh, one woman came from another state this past weekend. She'll be at that meeting that you and I will be going to <clears throat> later on. Uh, and she has the uh, capacity. She's not sure whether it's a burden or a blessing. Uh, some people say that ESP is a gift, but she's not so sure. She has a capacity of seeing things from other people's eyes. When she's a little girl, she might say to her mother, uh, Aunt Susie's going to call and she's going to tell us uh, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and then shortly after that, the telephone rings and Aunt Susie telling Mom uh, what was going on. So so these things uh, in the past were regarded as uh, strange, if not uh, crazy. <clears throat> Nowadays, uh, the uh, the model of science says, yep, ESP exists, and the model would suggest that Reincarnation could certainly occur so that, in my opinion, the ETs have been not only teaching us about our, quote, physical world, unquote, but teaching us about our spiritual world as well. And I always have to ask you, because I'm a bit confused, I know that you had a few experiences, a few sightings, but also you had experiences as a, as a child at five years old and at 14 uh, years of age. When did you actually come out of the proverbial closet with the earlier experiences? Yeah, it wasn't until I was 50 years old. I'm kind of a scaredy cat. So, <laughs> so when I was uh, a college student in <clears throat> 1947 at the University of Colorado, I uh, went there in 48. Uh, my buddy and I uh, were coming out of a meeting. He's a bright guy. He knew several languages. He and I worked in a kitchen dishwashers, <clears throat> we went to this meeting uh, held for a visiting professor in the Arts and Science Building, Helms Hall, to listen about how uh, science was changing, <clears throat> how uh, scientists talk about reality. And so we were coming out of the building, 
and we were looking over the tree. We were playing this little game. He said, what do you see over there? And I said, well, I call it a tree. It has trunk. It has branches. It has limbs. It has twigs and leaves. I think it has roots, but I can't see them because they're under the ground. So we were playing this little game of how do you describe reality? And then off to the southwest, we said, what do we see over there? And lo and behold, we saw what wasn't an airplane, wasn't a balloon. It appeared to be going uh, faster than airplanes did in those days. The P-38s could travel at several hundred miles an hour. But this thing looked elliptical. It looked metallic. There was a little flash. I couldn't tell whether the flash was from the uh, rays of the setting sun or the... uh, uh, internal locus of light from the object. And so we looked at it and we watched it as it moved from the southwest to the northwest <clears throat> over uh, a, a hall that later I would be meeting with people uh, many years later uh, in the Condon Committee report. I always thought that was interesting. That that was uh, was it a coincidence or was it a uh, sign of way things to come? Anyway, we uh, talked about it among ourselves, but we didn't talk about it to other people because it was weird in the 1947 or 48. Although then... uh, Because of the ridicule? Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Part of it was self-ridicule. You know, people would talk to themselves as well as talk to others and and say, well, I don't know what it was that I saw. Uh, Well, then in 1956, my wife and I were coming back from Denver. I was driving and we looked... uh, over to what's called the Flatirons, so the the Rocky Mountain foothills, uh, <clears throat> and it, the sun had set, and uh, there was still a little uh, uh, light in the air, but we saw what I thought was an evening star, a planet, uh, kind of reddish, glowing, <clears throat> beautiful, but suddenly the object or the light, whatever it was, began to move back and forth. My wife remembers it as kind of a pendulum effect back and forth. I stopped the car, we got out. Now I could see it was descending like a falling leaf. And uh, then it would hover and then it would move and then it would hover and then it would move. We watched for several minutes and uh, during that time, I got two feelings. One was, uh uh-oh, I got to study these events. Uh, It's important because now I've had two sightings. So uh, and also in the presence of somebody else, so it's not just a personal hallucination. Uh, but they also, the feeling was that I wanted to understand what other people are saying, because we could hear car horns down below, and I assumed other people were looking at what we were looking at. So the next morning, I was going to check the newspaper or the radio, and nothing, nothing there. And I said, uh-oh, it's it's more serious than I thought. It's an important business, but it's a lonely business. So I determined then and there that uh, it didn't matter. I was going to pursue it no matter what. And so uh, I began to uh, read. And then when I finished doctoral studies in 61, uh, conducted a study at the University of North Dakota. Uh, Then I tried to do a study with my colleagues, uh, but that failed. And so I said, okay, let's go to the experts, the people who claim to be on board, so then I wrote to people like Betty and Barney Hill, asked them to fill out the information about their background, about their psychic experiences, about their UFO experiences. And I've continued that study this day. I've got hundreds of, of uh, studies. And when I get some money, I'll ask somebody to do more about that. <clears throat> Dr. June Parnell did her dissertation on 250 of those uh, forms back in 1985. And she found 
along with the uh, survey and, and the personality inventories, that these people are, quote, normal, unquote. Uh, in fact, they seem a little bit super normal. They not only uh, seem to be educated um, on the average a couple of years of college, but they also seem to be uh, bright, according to uh, the survey, and uh, self-composed. That is, they are not uh, weird or uh, psychotic or neurotic. They seem to be persons who uh, are able to describe to themselves and others uh, what they experience. Um, and that <clears throat> led me to believe that, okay, if these people are normal, <clears throat> and yet they're experiencing supernormal events, what's going on? And my current view uh, is that they are experiencing a form of what's called a hero's journey. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Joseph Campbell, but he talked about the hero's journey, the man or woman who feels that uh, he or she has a task, a mission, a duty, yeah. a chore, a purpose. So they feel like they're taken out of society. They feel like they're tested for their courage and for their commitment. <clears throat> and then whether the test comes from other people around them or whether it comes from their spirit guides or the ETs, as I think, then the uh, person learns something. The masculine model is a... Uh, a physical journey, the feminine model is a creation or something that is engendered. Then they come back into society and then they share it. So in my opinion, we should pay attention to the ET experiencer because he or she is teaching us something about ourselves. In the absence of full contact, we get these third parties telling us all these anecdotes. But the, the experiences you had as a five-year-old and a 14-year-old, Yeah, that was when I was 50 years old. I finally went through hypnosis with another psychologist. And I went back uh, <clears throat> as a 10-year-old. Uh, I felt like I was a 10-year-old uh, uh, to uh, a time when I was in Rocky Ford, Colorado, <clears throat> and mm -hmm. on board a craft with a tall guy on my left in a one-piece uh, outfit. And his hand was on my right shoulder. We were looking out the window at the dark sky, the stars. And he was saying to me, Leo, learn to read and write well. When you grow up, you can help other people learn more about their purpose in life. So I feel like I've been following my mission or my task. And that is, I learned to read and write well. And uh, now with the help of spirit guides, I do readings. I help other people understand more about their uh, spiritual purpose. You know, maybe you and I, when I get the pleasure of meeting you in person, I'll tell you about uh, my story. But the, I get chills when you said your mission. I, I had an encounter <laughs> with a human being, with a human being, but yeah. some people say she may not have been. Uh, she foretold my future. And among the things she said, I dismissed it all because I was, you know, a skeptic at the time with an open mind, but I dismissed it all. But as years went by, each of the, there we call it premonitions, has come true. Oh, but the last thing she said, the last thing she said She said, Mel, the most important thing is that one day you'll be informing the world. And I was about 25 years old when this was told to me. And I said, she had told <laughs> no me <way>. about, <laughs> no, I mean, me, a 25-year-old kid informing the world? Come on now. And she said, uh, in due time, it'll be revealed to you. And this is how, how this radio show that I do now started. Uh, out of out of the thin blue you know sky like this so one day i'll explain to you more hopefully i'll be able to elucidate more of what happened That's but good. how did your colleagues I, i'm interested how did your colleagues treat you 
while you were a professor? Because I ask you, because we have a lot of people from academia who listen to this show, and they probably want to hear. Yeah. Uh, some people are very uh, supportive and <clears throat> very interested. I still have a couple of people at the gym. Uh, they're retired professors. Uh, they're uh, uh, both PhDs, and now they're partners, <clears throat> a man and woman. And uh, many of those kind of people were not only uh, uh, colleagues, <clears throat> but friends. Uh, uh, then there were most of the uh, other professors didn't give a damn. Uh, they were busy doing their thing, uh, so it wasn't a matter. But there were a few who were upset and bothered because I was being unscientific. I was being unprofessional. I was uh, bringing uh, uh, ridicule <clears throat> to the university uh by my uh, public statements <clears throat> and uh, just another example there are lots of examples but i will give you one when i decided in 1980 uh, that it was appropriate not only to work with individuals but it's appropriate to have a workshop uh dr june parnell well she wasn't a, a phd at that yeah uh, yeah she wasn't a phd at that time later on she was we uh we developed a little workshop uh, program <clears throat> so people could come in, go through self-hypnosis. Uh, I have a videotape that my family and I developed uh, in 85 about uh, hypnosis. <clears throat> um, but I've been teaching individuals for many years. Then we also had little reincarnation workshops. And then we had a pub, uh, public meeting <clears throat> if people wanted to attend. Uh, after people had a chance to talk about their experiences in what we call closed session. Now, some people call it the open mic, uh, but <clears throat> closed to reporters or uh, whatever, so that people who were uh, uncertain about themselves could talk to other people who would listen uh, without ridicule or without criticism. So the, uh, we started the work, the uh, workshop, or the, what we call the Rocky Mountain UFO Conference in uh, 1980 went for 20 years and every year <clears throat> um, I attended uh, but uh, in the uh, 80s uh, like 80, 89 when I resigned from the university uh, before that I had to take vacation uh, because that was not considered appropriate uh, for me to spend my time at a conference that I helped to develop in fact, there was some criticism among uh, some of the officers of the university, uh, some questions about whether the conference should even be held at the university. Well, I mean, other people pointed out, well, Girl Scouts are held a conference, religious groups held conferences. The university wasn't necessarily endorsing the information. They were just allowing the venue. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that prevailed. And I'm pleased because I love the university. <laughs> And I love the people. <clears throat> but as you can tell from my my groan and moan, <laughs> sorry about that, okay. I felt that the, the uh, questions that were put to us were difficult for us to deal with. <clears throat> and so there were a few people who uh, not only disliked what we were doing, but act actively uh, sought to end it. And so uh, rather than me pursuing it through the uh, Association of University Professors, I thought it would be better to resign. I didn't want to 
cause more problems for the university. So I resigned in 89 after 25 years. And for the last 23 years, I've been in private practice. So I'm regaining my composure and I'm regaining my sense that it's okay to be unusual. <laughs> when I see, I get, uh, and I've already, I'm already done with academia already, that that's that's over in my life, but I still get booklets from universities all the time just telling me what courses they're teaching and so on. Uh -huh. And I find so many co courses, you know, underwater basket weaving, things along those lines, <laughs> but we cannot see one that explores exopolitics or, or, or the possibility of, of visitation from another planet, the repercussions, the societal repercussions that that would have. Wouldn't that be something interesting and serious enough to discuss in a an academic level? In my opinion, yes. And in my opinion, when disclosure occurs, <clears throat> then governmental funds will be available to professors to uh, study uh, with pay <laughs> what some of us uh, studied over the years uh, without uh, pay. Uh, I think that uh, uh, there are some people who have done that kind of thing. Dr. J Jacobs, uh, Dave Jacobs, uh, yeah. did studies at Temple University. Uh, other people have had courses. I've been with psychologists at the American Psychological Association meeting where we've had uh, uh, temporary workshops uh, talking about the uh, psychology of the UFO experience and the, uh, the characteristics of ET experiences. So... Uh, It may not be mainstream, but uh, there's a lot of that that has gone on. And I think um, after disclosure, a lot more will go on. Did you get into the field of psychology in part because of what you experienced? I think so. <clears throat> I think that uh, as a child, <clears throat> just one example, when I was a little boy, my two brothers and I were in the back of a little old Chevy. Our uh, sister hadn't yet been born. <clears throat> and uh, uh, we were at a, uh, a pump station. In those days, gasoline was pumped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Back and forth, and then into the old Chevy. And I could feel my mother's uh, uh, feelings. She was sitting in front of me in the passenger seat, and my dad was outside. My mother was quiet, thoughtful. My dad was energetic, um, uh, sometimes rigid. His The razor strap would come out and do its dance. We'd do our dance. He'd sing its song. Uh, but he was very energetic and athletic. And I could feel his energy when he was talking about his family to the attendant. And I could feel my mother's feelings. And I thought, wow, they're so different. <clears throat> I didn't realize it, but at the time I was uh, you know, becoming a psychologist. I didn't know it until later when I couldn't decide whether I should study law, should I study history, Should I study psychology, sociology, education? Well, I wound up with four uh, part-time studies, <clears throat> what they call a distributed major. And then when I was a master's level, I studied psychology and sociology and business. And then finally, when I was a doctoral student, they said, you got to settle down. So I settled down to just psychology and education uh, so I could become a... The director of a counseling center. I knew as a graduate student that uh, not only did I wish to uh, <clears throat> be a psychologist, but I also worked with others. So teaching and counseling uh, continues to be my work, even if it isn't uh, formal. And I have to tell you a quick story, but a couple of years ago, there was a 
a uh, uh, a couple here in, in Arizona, an elderly couple, and they one the husband passed away, the the the, the wife was uh, in hospice. And somebody called me saying, Mel, they have a, an extensive collection of, of books in the UFO field mm. and, and the extraterrestrial field. And are you interested uh, in buying? And I said, sure, I'm interested in going and see what they have. And I bought the whole thing. Ah, and then the next day after, after the, I bought all that, uh, Colonel Wendell Stevens passed away. And all of his material, a lot of his material was there too. And I got it the day before. Wow. But, uh, you know, when you have people like that, who who go to the grave without finally experiencing disclosure. And I've heard that they had a lot of contact, and that's probably why they were researching till the day they they die. Yeah. When do you see disclosure happening, and do you see it coming from a government authority? Uh, I do, uh, but I don't know whether... Uh, I, I see it in two ways. <clears throat> Formally, I see it happening... Uh, through some kind of a public authority. And I hope that uh, Dr. Scott Jones is correct <clears throat> that it'll be this year. Uh, informally, I see it happening all the time. I see individual after individual after individual disclose to himself or to herself what is happening. To me, that's the most exciting thing. When a person says, oh, now I realize. Uh, for example, I worked with a woman years ago. She came back from the hypnotic trance. She looked at me and she was frightened. She was remembering her memory of being on board a craft and interacting with ETs. She said, Leo, you think they'll come and take me away? And I said, no, I don't think you'll be that lucky. I said, I think you'll have to stay and work like the rest of us. And she laughed. And another young man who was frightened during his hypnosis session, he came back to the normal state. He said, is this war? And I said, no, I don't think so. I said, I think it's worse. He said, worse? I said, yeah, I think it's education. Well, he laughed also. To me, the exciting thing is watching an individual disclose to himself or herself what has been going on and what he or she is doing in terms of his or her personal mission. Uh, the uh, the public uh, disclosure will be exciting, but uh, to me, that's just already determined. It's already uh, happening because so many individual people are disclosing to themselves who they are, not only as a human, not only as a past life uh, person, not only as a former extraterrestrial coming to the planet Earth, but also being here at this exciting time when uh, human consciousness is transforming. I know I wanted to mention the the estate sale uh, to you oh, yeah. because it included uh, blueprints on, on anti-gravitic uh, machines. Ooh. They had albums and albums of uh, newspaper clippings all the way from the 50s to the uh, 80s and 90s. I mean, we don't see that stuff anymore. Oh, but yeah. the most important thing that I found was in a package, they had a number of written handwritten letters by Paul Benowitz. Oh. And I have those letters with me. And after I read those letters, there's nothing in my mind that says that Dr. Paul Benowitz was insane, as many people painted him. I know you had interactions with Paul Benowitz. Can yeah. you tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, just let me comment about I've got a, a thousand books on UFOs, a thousand books on reincarnation, ESP, and other uh, books. And uh, <clears throat> I've been so grateful to Dr. Lynn Penley and formerly her uh, husband who's deceased now, Dr. Daryl Penley, who allowed me to bring my books to the building that I'm working in now. So, mm. so many good people. 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, Wendell Stevens, Coral and Jim Lorenz, and all those people who are deceased now, but who worked so hard for disclosure and uh, will, uh, I'm sure, have some opportunity to commemorate their work when disclosure does happen. Yeah, I had the opportunity to meet with Paul because Jim and Coral Lorenz asked me to meet with him. And uh, he was a bright guy. <clears throat> uh, I was intrigued because his glasses needed cleaning, and I wanted to tell him that. <laughs> but that's just my little... Uh, to tell the audience who he was so that they know who we're referring to. <laughs> he he, uh, he invited me to come down to, uh, from Wyoming to New Mexico. He had uh, interviewed a young woman uh, and her son. They had encountered a flying saucer, <clears throat> and they had seen a calf uh, being levitated, at least that's the way they saw it, on a beam of light from the ground up into the uh, craft. So he wanted to know if hypnosis would help remember more about it. <clears throat> he was eccentric. He wanted us to sit in a car <clears throat> uh, and uh, have uh, uh, some kind of metallic covering because he was afraid that the government officials would be tuned in on it. Um, so, And yet, maybe he knew what he was talking about. <clears throat> I enjoyed talking with him, bright, articulate. At one point, he pointed out uh, we were looking at the night sky, and he could see things uh, well beyond what most people could see. Uh, so there was nothing wrong with his vision. There was nothing wrong with his uh, mental ability to estimate size and distance. Uh, <clears throat> when uh, the woman... Uh, was willing to go through hypnosis, she described what she felt was not only the uh, sighting, that is the craft in the uh, sky and the uh, beam of light that levitated this uh, bawling calf, uh, young cow, <clears throat> into the flying saucer, but she also felt like later on she was taken out of the craft along with some tall ETs who walked along with her down into an underground cavern. Some people wonder if uh, Dulce, New Mexico, is mm -hmm. one of those places where there's underground caverns. She felt like she was walking along <clears throat> a hallway and looked into a pot, and she couldn't tell whether these bones were cattle or whether they were human bones. She's very frightened, and it was very difficult for her to describe all of the things that were happening to her. Uh, <clears throat> so... After one session, she came back and we rested a while. Uh, I tried to talk with the boy about his experiences, but um, we weren't getting much more information. So we made arrangements, uh, Paul and I, <clears throat> that I would come back later uh, to see if further uh, sessions would be helpful in recovering more of the uh, information that we thought was happening because of the memories that she'd had of that experience. Well... When I came back, things had changed. He had a pistol on his uh, belt. He had a rifle in his hand. He thought I was probably a member of the CIA or worse. Paranoid. And uh, at that point, his fear uh, was paranoid. And yeah. uh, so not only did he fear what government officials were doing, he feared what I might be doing. And so uh, uh, he asked me to leave, and so I did. And I because the main reason was because I was telling him and I was telling Myrna, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, 
Linda Moulton Howe, but she had sure. helped me in other cases, <clears throat> and uh, I had encouraged uh, these other people to come forth publicly, and I encouraged Paul to talk about it publicly, but he was in no mood for that, and so uh, that was the last I saw of him. And for those who are listening, just a quick summary of who Paul Benowitz was. He owned the company Thunder Scientific Corporation, which was a, a company that manufactured equipment for the military, correct? Yeah, he was, a, he was a bright, capable guy, no doubt about it. And if he was correct in what he said, <clears throat> then he was being uh, under surveillance by uh, military and or governmental or paragovernmental officials. Sure. And, and I have to ask you, if because we hear a lot of the, the some of the same stories coming from abductees and, and even people who see the cows levitating, the mutilations and so on. If the alien abductors are allegedly scientists, and we, we must presume that that's the case, that they're able to come from point A to point B, meaning Earth. Why do we hear so many anecdotes showing the same procedures over and over again? I'll give you my opinion. Uh, it's not well received among some of my colleagues, but... Uh, my opinion is what we might call the mirror effect, that the ETs are showing us who we are. <clears throat> we think that they're showing us who they are, but in this uh, model, uh, we are looking into the mirror that the UFO ET mirror shows us. give you one example. Uh, Bud Hopkins and I, uh, when he was alive, we, we were friendly, even though we disagreed. Uh, for example, one time he was giving a slideshow and <clears throat> I was there a little bit early so he was setting up his uh, uh, presentation and I was talking with him and we uh, bounced each other ideas off of each, uh, you know off of each other he said Leo look at this he showed me a letter he said this letter's from a woman and look there are tear stains on the letter <clears throat> this woman is crying and she's saying uh, that she is remembering her uh, abduction. She didn't ask to be abducted. <clears throat> Don't you see, Leo? <clears throat> and, I, and I read the letter. And I said, yeah, I think you're right. I think those are tear stains. And yes, uh, you're right. I think that uh, she's uh, saying that she's looking at a TV program. And she's looking at a little baby seal. And the baby seal is being uh, uh, plugged by uh, scientists. <clears throat> so that it's paralyzed, and so they can weigh it and measure it. I said, but did the baby seal ask to be abducted? And he looked at me, and he got kind of a disdainful look on his face. And he said, Leo, you don't understand. And I said, yes, I, I think you're right. I don't understand. I do not understand why we human scientists cannot understand the possibility that the ETs could be benign, benevolent. They could be showing us like a mother who bites a baby who's biting mama, bites the baby gently to show <clears throat> that it hurts when mm -hmm. one human bites another. So my bias, and I'm sorry to be so biased, but I don't have any other avenue at this point, is that there are two scenarios. One scenario is good guy, bad guy. That is, some ETs are good, some ETs are bad. Or the other scenario, good cop, bad cop. <clears throat> That's the scenario that I'm favoring at this time. The scenario that the ETs infiltrate humans, infiltrate the human government, infiltrate the uh, industrial uh, businesses, and infiltrate the human psyche 
and then show us who we are. We are the ones who are polluting the planet. We are the ones who are building nuclear stockpiles. We are the ones who are fearful of the other, whether the other is black or white or brown or purple or ET or celestial. And so if this model is accurate, then the ETs are infiltrating our society until we discover that we are the bad guy and we are the ones who are conducting war against our own brothers and sisters. It's it's the equivalent, in my opinion, also, let's say that you and I are driving on a highway somewhere in Wyoming, and all of a sudden a turtle is crossing the, the highway, and we stop the car, we grab the turtle, and we take it, we move it to safety. We leave but the turtle probably pees, goes back, goes back to its family and says, look, these two weird looking guys just, just carry me and I'm so in distress here. But in reality, we were trying to help. These Wyoming cowboys, yeah. Yeah. So do you think this is a, this is a parallel to, to what's happening? I do. I do. Uh-huh. Uh, it may be that there are bad, you know, evil ETs. I certainly know there are e- evil uh, entities, you know, spirits. And sometimes evil spirits can masquerade as humans and can masquerade <clears throat> as uh, ETs. And some people I've worked with uh, have gone through what is called SRT, spirit releasement therapy, and release the negative energies or the negative entities, and they feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's true of whether a person uh, stops using drugs or stops being a pedophile or stops being a sociopath. If the person is willing to release the negative energies, well, then they can start their program and become a more decent human. Uh, But my feeling is that the extraterrestrials in general and the celestials, uh, I I call celestials the ones who uh, don't necessarily have to have a body to uh, be an intelligent entity. What some people think of as angels or spirit guides. So... If it's true that uh, many people are being contacted by ETs and if many people are being contacted by celestials, then, in my opinion, not only will disclosure indicate that there's been a cover-up, but also, as Dr. Scott Jones indicates, uh, maybe they have uh, free energy and maybe if we stop our wars, maybe they'd be willing to share that with us. Uh, So then we could have what I call the the vision of tomorrow. I was talking with a friend and I said, uh, my vision is that every man, woman, child has uh, food, clothing, shelter, uh, education, and medical assistance. He looked at me and said, Leo, isn't that socialism or communism? I said, or Christianity? And he laughed because he's a quote Christian, you know. <laughs> and yeah. so, uh, so many people who call themselves religious uh, are uh, thinking in terms of uh, their God and their angels, but they're not so sure about the uh, God and the angels of the uh, other person, you know, the Jew or the Muslim or the Buddhist or whatever. So, uh, as you know, uh, Victoria Alexander has done a study and other people have done studies on the religious views of people and with their views be bothered or undermined if uh, extraterrestrial presence was announced. And all of those studies show that, nope, 
only the people who are non-religious think that the religious person would be upset. <laughs> so once again, it seems like everybody's saying, I'm ready, but I don't think those other guys are ready. And see, that's the issue. You know, we think that, that perhaps if we stop, stop the, 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 the war mentality that we have, that perhaps they would come and share information with us. Yes. But it's only a minority, in my opinion, uh, Professor, that engages in war. You know, if you ask most people, nobody would want to kill anybody or hurt anyone. True, true. Why haven't we seen an intervention if in reality we're just a speck of sand in the middle of the universe and there are other... And I get this feeling, and as you say, there are three ways to get information. You either accept it, reject it, or let it sit there. I think, by looking up at the stars, that there's trillions of planets out there. And we may have some that are probably their reality TV show for the aliens. So why haven't they intervened and, and to say, stop it, you're killing your planet, you're killing humanity? Yeah, well, in, in my opinion, they have intervened, but not formally, not publicly. Uh, you know, more and more sightings, more and more encounters, more and more people uh, uh, learning gradually that, uh, oh, I'll give you one example, a young man, he's, uh, he's a poster boy for contactee, he's 6'3", 225 pounds, he's a, a former football player, now a martial arts guy, bright, got a master's degree, he's going to help other people, and when he was in my office, uh, And my chair, he was shaking uh, in the chair. I was worried about the chair as well as him. <laughs> he wasn't shaking out of fear. He was shaking out of, uh, I don't know what kind of emotion you call it, exultation or uh, uh, he, was, he was recalling a 15-year-old experience as a boy. He and his buddy, uh, <clears throat> he was staying with his buddy overnight. They went downstairs. Uh, he had a, a message that he's supposed to go outside and he got goes outside and there's a flying saucer and the ETs and uh, <clears throat> they are reminding him that he's one of them and he is so excited but he's also sad that they're going to leave him as a human <laughs> he, even though he's a beautiful human uh, because uh, they had their work to do and he had his work to do so to me disclosure already has happened to him and to other people who are aware of not only of the ET presence, but aware that we are extraterrestrial. We have come from other planets. I, I remember one time when I uh, was reading some studies of German and uh, French uh, scientists who would take people underground, no clocks, and they would uh, check their uh, biorhythms, their diurnal uh, Uh, daily rhythm <clears throat> and find out that uh, most people have a 24 and a half day uh, 24 and a half hour cycle during the day like Mars uh, 24 and, and I, I said why was that we're 24 we're 24 hour beings then my astronomer friend said well Leo I don't know about your UFO stuff but he said Mars has a 24, 37-minute cycle. I said, we, That's right. I said, we came from Mars. I can't prove it to anybody, but I know that now because our bodies tell us this. And that's the biblical story of the Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge and then being displaced, cast out of Mars, cast to Earth. And so we have come to Earth to learn our lessons, and I hope soon our... Graduation ceremony occurs and disclosures announced. Yeehaw. 
Interesting. I, I haven't heard about Mars having the 24 and a half, uh, but I didn't know the, the, the study about the biorhythms rhythms this way. This is very interesting. But in, the, in your book, Soul Samples, the, the, other, the subtitle, Personal Explorations in Reincarnation and UFO Experiences, how do you put these two together, reincarnation and UFO experiences? Uh, the way it's come to me <clears throat> is through the individuals that I've worked with who recognize not only themselves as humans, <clears throat> but recognize themselves as having many lifetimes as humans. And so uh, that's easy enough. Uh, <clears throat> but then, uh, well, Dolores Cannon has done a lot of this. She's written several books. Uh, Bruce Goldberg, he's a doctor of dental surgery. He's done some. He's got a nice model of... Uh, the Atlantean civilization going under, <clears throat> and then the remnants of that civilization settling in north, lower uh, Egyptian valley. And then the uh, Lemurian civilization, when that went under, those uh, uh, people settled in um, upper uh, southern Egyptian uh, valley or plateau, <clears throat> so that uh, he could argue that the uh, masculine, military, technical, scientific uh, heritage of uh, the Atlantean civilization was represented in Egypt, and then the uh, feminine uh, compassion uh, art and uh, gentle society from Lemuria settled in Egypt, so so that in our society we have both. There are others who argue that uh, um, Mars the masculine and Venus, the feminine societies are representing, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus mm -hmm. kind of model. Uh, so whether we perceive ourselves as Pleiadian or Arcturian or uh, some other civilization, most people, if they go at it and study, they find out that not only have they had many lifetimes on Earth, they've also had lifetimes on other civilizations. So so uh, to me, reincarnation as a model <clears throat> not only provides us with uh, the opportunity to be more human, it also provides us with the model to uh, start becoming more galactic and more cosmic. And we have to take a one and only intermission to give you a little break on your side, okay. but uh, I'll ask you a question and I'll get the answer on the other side since we're also talking about reincarnation. Yeah. I've always wondered, Professor, what elicits more fear? The fear of death or the fear of returning <laughs> or of reincarnating? <laughs> I'll get your answer on the other side, but tell us how do I know you don't own a, co a computer, so you don't have a website, but how can people uh, buy your book and get more exposed to your material? Uh, <clears throat> there are only a few copies of the book left, and they have to uh, buy it from the author. I've got my copies in my office here, several hundred copies. Uh, <clears throat> if they are interested in uh, getting a copy of a paper, uh, that I wrote in 2009 about ET experiences, so they can write to 1277 North 15th Street in Laramie, L-A-R-A-M-I-E, Laramie, Wyoming, 82072. And for the book? Uh, yeah, from, from the author, from Leo. <laughs> okay. Great. I have one right here, so I'm privileged to have it. Folks, don't go anywhere. We have so much more to discuss with Professor Leo Sprinkle. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. 
We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the member section. Enjoy.
This is Richard Dolan, and you are listening to The Veritas Show. <laughs> 